and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining software for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? How can we trace a path through the history of open source and look behind us to try to find out what is happening in the future? Very excited about our guest today. For those of you who don't know, I'm Richard Littauer. I am the host. The other voice you're going to hear on this podcast who is not our guest is going to be Ben Nichols. Ben, how are you doing? I have moved from warm to officially hot right now. 32 degrees in my office. Good times. Um, we are recording this on the hottest day on record in the UK, which is just very, very unfortunate for Ben. So sorry about that, Ben. Thank you for being here. And for everyone in Texas who's listening, yeah, I know we shouldn't really talk about it. Now, our guest today is Tracy Hines. Tracy Hines is a longtime open source practitioner, maker, creator, founder, super awesome, powerful woman of glory. She was most active early on in the JavaScript phase and the Node stuff, but she's also just done so many things, which is really exciting. She's founded tons of different like communities. She's a nonprofit leader. She's a career transitioner. She's a forever conflict manager, which is my favorite three-word title for someone. And I also feel so bad for you so much, so fast. She's currently the CEO and co-founder at Crow and Pitcher. She also serves as a CFO and board director at the OSI, continuing the long chain of having people from the OSI on this podcast. I don't know why we keep using that organization and not like Pets Anonymous. <laughs> Must be connected somehow. Tracy, how are you doing today? I am great. We are not quite as hot here in New York City. And having grown up in the South, I'm very grateful for us not having hit the dog days of summer quite yet. So sympathy to you, Ben. Ben's dog, Leo, is just lying down and doing absolutely nothing all day. Somewhere over there. Tracy, speaking of animals, tell me a bit more about what Crow and Pitcher is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Pitcher was founded by Jen Fong and I. Jen and I met back in my early engineering days in Portland. I want to say through Node PDX, but through various JavaScript community things. And it's just been amazing to get to found this with her. And what we're working on launching in the next few months is personalized low-key substance recovery activity tracker. So no abstinence required. If you're anything from ever curious, wanting to explore relationships you have with the substance, legal or not, or if you're transitioning out of a recovery program, we're here to support you and help make sure that you sort of have the tools for the long haul since recovery can take anywhere up to 10 years once you've decided. But it's exciting to do that and we're pulling in all of our skills from our open source days, business running and help engineering apps, whatnot. So uh, it's really exciting to get to apply all of the learnings that we've had over decades. That is amazing. I didn't know about that. That's really cool. Is it offline first? I'm curious, is your data being used elsewhere in the cloud and sold to major companies who then go ahead and spam you? So we're a public benefit corporation. And one of the very clear lines that we draw is not selling data. It's not really a thing that you want to do in health anyway. It's not a best practice, but it's something that we are very protective of in how we design moving forward. And from the start is we ask as little as possible because we don't even want your information. So what can we do with as little as information as possible to help make a big impact for you? And even then they are uh, mobile apps. We have not gotten to build the offline first, but it is absolutely on the roadmap. Well, is that open source? No, unfortunately it is not. That's okay. Sometimes it doesn't have to be. 
open source is just an interesting business model that works some of the time. Yeah. So one place we could take the conversation from there and that work, talking about working all the time and open source working sometimes some ways, you were instrumental in the Node.js community for setting up ComCom. And I'm actually kind of curious about your experiences there. I know a lot of it was kind of uh, all the time, but that's the nature of conflict resolution. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts about community committees based on that work, or if you want to share anything about long-term sustainability and what it means to have some sort of community committee. Huge question, which you cannot possibly answer in at least three minutes, but you know, I just figured I'd ask. Yeah, we'll see where we went with this. So the idea of community committee is community as a top level concern. And really that's under the guise, the things that hide inside that are non-code contributions. So a lot of that was around how do we get folks to embrace with the language that we're using and the governance that we have. The idea that we know this work is valuable, we have to see this work done every day. In fact, even some of core committers in the TSC, the technical steering committee, the folks who are owning really clutch parts of these projects that millions of people depend on. And it doesn't have to be that large of a project, but they know like there are people who don't want to be doing some of the non-code work and plenty of people who are doing non-code contributions are still technical and you don't have to be either in order to be a contributor. So what we saw at some point in Node, what I had seen was I was way more interested in the non-code contributions, even though I was a programmer. And it was, how do I pull more people into this? Because I see all of my friends who are working in core and they're struggling to get what they want through. And we have a whole bunch of people who are chomping at the bit to help. And they don't have necessarily the expertise to be able to contribute to the core code. Node was also not very accessible and contributing early on. It was also very high bar in the expertise that you needed to be able to do that. So how do we include more people here? How do we get the momentum continuing on this project? And then there's the tangle of foundations. And I say that because Node had a foundation that was supporting it. It was a 501c6, and that's relevant in some ways. But I just like to call that out for people who know that. And it's a trade organization. So it's companies that are interested in open source, interested in Node, They want to support the project. And so they pay money to be a part of that foundation and support it. That money doesn't necessarily go to the contributors, but it goes to the infrastructure and the overhead to make that project more sustainable. And I'm sure you've had lots of folks talk about that and the pros and cons of that. But generally speaking, these kinds of organizations have not historically supported the non-code contributions as a voice that needed to be regularly represented in the top level discussions about what does it mean for the future of an organization? What does it mean for this growing project? And that's probably more along the lines of the human tendency to not recognize blue work. So the technical contributors, the ones who've really been around the block, They're like, I don't care. I just need this problem solved. We're not opposed to it. We don't want to give up the power and decision making. And we don't want people who aren't doing our work telling us what to do. So how do we solve this problem? Okay, well, to me, it seemed easy enough. Like, why don't we just have another group with decision making abilities in the work that is relevant to them and what they're doing? And they'll help support you when you get in the technical work. 
And that was still surprisingly controversial. But then you start seeing more and more people are just like, they start, everyone gets broken down by like the amount of work and the amount of ambition that you have in open source. There aren't enough hours in the day. There aren't enough people showing up to help do the work. And there's just no end to that. So eventually within the project, everybody was cool with that. You have to do a lot of relationship building, right? And conflict management. So that was actually a big sell as part of that work was, well, a bunch of us are doing this thing. We're helping with all of the moderation. There's more than just moderation that has to happen within a project. And so where do we go from there? So we got that approval within the technical group. So we get this like great, like cool run with it. It could be docs. It could be like the marketing, the blog, because the blog could actually be people contributing to the project and not necessarily just partnership companies who are a part of the foundation. Because that's easier, actually. Like people who are paid to do that work, right? You're just pulling them in. They're sort of already doing it anyway. But then you have people who are up and coming who want to represent that. So we get all of these different ways that we can include people. So that's within the project. But then how do you move from that to oh, well, we can have this representation at the board level, helping make fiscal decisions, helping make sure that you've got a seat at the table. I think for that, the reason that we were able to pull that off was because we had a number of board members at that perfect timing who understood that this could be a big benefit to the project and the foundation because it also engages far more people. So we also ended up getting that the governance changed within the project, within the foundation. And that's a huge, a seat at the table on the board of a nonprofit foundation, like opening up new seats, different seats is not common and changing bylaws for that type of thing is not common. So that felt like a win. Of course, that's really just getting to a point where you're getting to do a whole bunch more work. So you can only celebrate that win so much. I felt like after that, we had a really well-oiled machine that was communicating really well between the foundation and the projects and between different repos and folks and parts of the project to really build this great momentum and continue that forward. And the coolest thing that I really like about this is that Comcom has been deprecated. And not because it wasn't useful, but because the culture and the communication was adopted and adapted throughout the project. So there wasn't really a need for just ConCom anymore. And I kind of love when things get deprecated because one, it means people are paying attention enough to notice like you don't need these things anymore. And it means that things are still changing. And I think that that's an important sign in a project, generally speaking. That is a fantastic three to five minute summary of Node Comcom. Thank you so much. I just want to point out to listeners that Tracy was also working in core. And I know that's not necessarily important because we're talking about non-code contributions, but it is important because people who do community work are often sidelined and given up, oh, you're just a community person. But the amount of work that went into that decision was work that Tracy knew as a developer and then made happen in the organization, which is one of the reasons why ComCom was exceptional and Tracy is exceptional. So if you missed that, listeners, I just want to point that out. I also want to point out again how important it is to have a board that knows what you're talking about, especially if you're in a 501c6. 
Ben and I, of course, work for 501c6. So there's our bias there, but that's just really interesting to me. Also, as a former member of Node.js ComCom. Thank you. Thank you. That is really, really cool work. Because you summarize it so well, and I think that a lot of the learnings are really important, I want to actually take a bit of a left turn and talk about non-code contributions a bit more. And what's interesting about all the initiatives you just talked about is that it takes someone who has that high-level view. It takes someone who's able to look at the project and say, okay, here are the needs for the project. And no, it's not just talking about the dependencies. It's not just talking about the next version or Semver or any of that stuff. But it's like, okay, well, what's going on in this project and how can we make it a healthier, better project and sustainable in the long term? That's something which you clearly have had the crow's eye view, if I can use that term. And what I'm curious about is what do you think the role is for a product manager or a PM or project manager? I always forget the difference and we should probably clarify that immediately in open source, because I know this is a topic that you have thoughts on. Yeah, there's so much room for program managers, project managers, and product managers. And they are sometimes the same job. And prime ministers. Yes, yeah. (laughs) And sometimes very different jobs. I wish we had more project managers for sure, because I think it can be just helping people move along. I think project management often ends up being within a group of people who are contributing the code because that's sort of the low level. We're in the weeds. This is easier to manage this. Now, product management is really interesting to me because what are these open source projects? We talk about like, if no one knows what your project is and no one's using it, sort of, and that's where marketing comes in. That's where all these different parts. And it doesn't have to be a business. It doesn't have to be a business. But I think it's really interesting to think about many open source projects as products. And I think the collaboration is something that has spoiled me for every professional job that I've had, regardless of whether it was a programming job. Because you get so many different stakeholders and contributors at the table if you're doing that well, I think. And you're able to move this really cool thing forward that is sometimes really cool by accident and sometimes by design because there's people within the project who are really considerate and intentional about what they're building. And so I wish that it was more recognized as a job that somebody would get paid to do at a company. You can get a full-time job contributing at open source. You can get 20% time working at open source at a job in the world because most of us do need to work. Thanks, capitalism. But it's rare to ever say, I feel like when someone's working in any sort of program management, they're very good at selling themselves to their company and the value or the company's playing a blind eye to it, which it shouldn't have to. People should be able to recognize the value. I was just going to chime in and say, as you were talking about the work ComCom's on, like the... It's very clear that the roles of people within the community committee and the role just generally of the community involvement there was like outbound support. There was very little kind of like inbound support. And I would say that project management and product management in business and open source and everything is more on that inbound kind of support. And the way I kind of think about it 
having probably accidentally worked in products and open source for a while, is that it's really a support function for the kind of core contributors there, right? Like it's trying to kind of build that context or it's trying to kind of bring that context to a broader group of people and help them kind of work together, depending on whether it's on more of the like product side or the project side. It's quite interesting. Was there any work within ComCom to try and create that separation? Is that something that you think there is more of a challenge with in open source we see it because we're battling with perhaps a general underappreciation of some of those other skills in open source alongside with maybe lack of understanding sometimes of what those roles can contribute in projects? Is that like a challenge that you see playing out in open source? And, and how do you think we might kind of meet that challenge and bring those skills into open source? I don't know about other projects, but I know within Node, we had received so much criticism that the core contributors were not open to input. And there was definitely this time where we had a number of people coming in and they wanted to help. They're like, oh, I'm also meeting, like I want to help and I feel like I'm getting a lot of friction against giving contributions or it's like I'm trying and then because I'm not a core contributor or, or maintainer that I'm not recognized as someone that can be trusted and like is really helping build the project. But over time, as everyone, like the newer folks and like the really hardy bit around the block maintainers start to get to know each other better and trust each other more, everyone starts seeing where they can help and that their work is valuable. So it takes time and it takes trust building. I think if you think about things like documentation, someone who doesn't have context can't write it. But a person who's writing code all day may also not have the time to write all the documentation either. So what if, and I'm sure people have done this in other projects and I would love to see it, what if you have people who are sort of pairing, right, as technical writers, people who can contribute to documentation, but they're not the person who wrote the code. I think that that's a really beautiful thing. And every project needs docu better documentation. Like that never ends. That problem never ends. And people being compensated for documentation because that has to do with sustainability of a project. It has to do with onboarding new people. It has to do with debugging anything that you're trying to work on. It just, it makes a huge difference. And so I think we had also recognized the folks in ComCom, the founding members, saw there's so much space to do outward work and bring people in. And we're being criticized for not allowing people to be a part of this process. So like we can be the tools to be those translators, to be the Sherpas, to be the people who can help bridge that gap help people talk through like, why should I even be working with this person? Because a lot of this, that's where like the conflict management comes in too, where you have people who are a little more nuanced and I want to help, but I don't know how I have all of this energy. And then there's other people who are overwhelmed because they need help and they just don't even have the time and patience for it. And we can be the middle ground, which is like, oh, here, you talk, <laughs> you should work together. And I think that's where we saw the value eventually was just everyone wants to help. You have to be able to receive help and listening to like, you need to accept help. So thinking about projects which don't have 
preordained ComCom set up. What do you think the best way is to talk to the steering committee, to talk to the TSC, to talk to the main chairs at your project and say, listen, I would like to be in a project manager role or a product management role. Or what's the best way to find someone to take that on? How does that happen easily? I don't think it happens easily. Fair. Yeah, I would say if it's not already being brought up that there's a need, someone who's been working and noticing, because that's even how I got started. I was like, hmm, I'm going to assess what these folks are needing here because I want to be helpful. I want to be useful. It helps to try and clarify a problem for folks to say, I see a need here and I've got the time. So I'm not just filing a bug and demanding you fix it. I'm noticing a bunch of bugs and I'm going to organize it and I'm going to work on it for you. I think it can be really powerful. Folks still have to be able to listen. So I think it's harder in the context of most projects that didn't have this, that would need a project manager or a product manager. They need to build trust. So if they're new, you can't come in with this amazing, helpful, eager energy, but you don't have the context. So you have to spend time building it. Maybe it's asking to be in meetings to listen. Maybe it's finding out if they're documenting meetings so that you can learn about what they're working on. Maybe it's finding someone within that group who's open to, I don't want to call it a mentor-mentee relationship, but helping you get the context that you need and maybe helping get a buddy in like building up trust so that they can advocate for you to help them. And I know this is sounding like, Yes, you need to do a bunch of work so that you can get them to allow you to work. But you have to do this in your workplace. So doing this at open source is no different. You're learning to advocate for yourself and you're getting to do really important work as a result. I think that's perfect. For me, I was a little bit worried with Richard's question. It's a good question, Richard, don't worry. But kind of framing (laughs) framing it in those terms of, what does it take to bring a product manager or project manager into an open source project? Like those kinds of people for me and in my experience, like show up because they take on a specific element of role, like going in and doing some triage, like trying to help build understanding, like navigating the current like 102,000 issues that currently exist and trying to kind of yeah, and like create relationships, like point things out and just trying to kind of like make sense of things for other people. It reminds me, like it doesn't just happen in open source, right? Like I used to work at GitHub and when I first joined GitHub, I spent two weeks just looking through issues in my product area. It was just like trying to build that context and stuff. Like it's about trying to then bring what you have in knowledge to people. And understandably, I do think in you know a lot of projects, there might be, a little bit of friction there, right? Like you come in, you've got some energy and you're like, hey, like, I think I can help here and I think I can build this context for you. And I think maybe we should be doing these kinds of things. If you have built things as an open source maintainer, and we said this back in the report for the original Sustain events, you've probably built processes around yourself, around code contribution. You've probably built processes that centralize yourself into that role because you want to spend the time that you are investing yourself in your project creating code. And I think that maybe one of the things we need to do is reduce that friction for people to be able to contribute things that aren't code. 
And I just kind of wonder what can people do who are working in a code centric open source project to make themselves and their work more open and amenable to people that come in, in a more kind of product management or project management kind of capacity. Even just like good hygiene in projects where they're tagging for any sort of note taking, any sort of being able to catch up on and read between the lines. I think there's a healthy amount of dialogue going on, whether it's in Discord, Slack, or GitHub comments. Folks can also jump in and read through that and sort of see, right, if you're able to read these different perspectives. And then also, I mean, I guess, yeah, there's a lot of reading to be done if you want to catch up on the context and being able to sort of parse things out. And if you have people who have already sort of done some of the work on, like, here's our roadmap-ish, then you have lots of opportunities to say, this is where I can get started. It does make it much harder if you're not actually working that openly. So a lot of people will like, they have open source code projects, but they don't necessarily have like open collaboration. So it can be really opaque and difficult to see. How are these folks who are even just coding together, working together? So it could be really hard for people to step in when they either have to read your minds or be on like your DM that you are arguing about something over. So it helps to work in the open. That's a big part of that. And I think people take for granted, there are very large open source projects that for a very long time work discussing things in Facebook Messenger or closed Slack. And how are people supposed to get contributions that way? How are people supposed to help? So I think that there's a lot of rooms for, and again, that's people having to do more work. A little bit of notes go a long way, especially in the moment, because also that helps you down the road. And you're like, oh yeah, why did I do that thing? I wrote this note and now other people know and can also help out. I like the phrase working in the open. It's very popular. It's also dangerous, I think, because people assign it as a binary. They say, yeah, we're in the open. Great. You know, and I think it's a continuum. Some things will always be over PMs. Security reports will always be. Absolutely. Right. But there are other things that just don't have to be. And anything which is implicit, anything which is structureless, those all lead to systemic issues down the road where it's harder for people to get engaged and it's difficult for your project to sustain itself. The reason I asked the question earlier about like, how do you start as a PM, but also how do you find PMs? is because I think actually a lot of people listening to this podcast aren't necessarily open source maintainers, but people who work on policy for open source people. And I'm trying to figure out like, if I were a funder, if I were an OSPO, if I were in charge of a large project, what I'm always wondering is like, where do I find people to take this role? or this project needs someone like that, how do I get them to show up? And that's kind of a different question. It's much more, you know, project management downturn, like downstream, but it's still an interesting one for me because as a new person to a project, you're also going to be looking for very similar signals saying, oh, there's a need here. How do I solve it? But with less context as a funder, it's a bit different. This is really interesting. I think one thing which we didn't do, which I would just like to have down because I'm still confused by it, is the difference between product manager, project manager, and program manager, because I always forget the three. Can you just help me out with like a quick one-liner for each one, preferably five words or less? Obviously impossible. Yeah, man. I'll get destroyed by this, by um, people who actually do these jobs for a living. The work that I've done is like a program manager. You're organizing 
these specific things that have, I would say, goals in mind for how you're moving an organization forward in the context of open source or in the projects. It's how can we have these things that are happening with this organization that move our mission forward? It doesn't necessarily have to be code or a tangible, right? It could be education. It could be messaging and communication. It could be relationship building. So project management, I guess, can also be a larger multiple projects sort of thing. But for me, project management is we have an end date. We have deadlines. We need to get here. We need to do these things. It's much more task oriented. And product management, I find, tends to be both project management, program management. It's the bigger picture to release. So that's what I think is interesting is there's a lot of people doing release management for open source projects. So I don't think figure themselves to be product managers. You're the goalie, you know what I mean? Like you're the last person after a whole bunch of people have done a bunch of work and you're helping make it happen or not happen. So it's interesting to me to see that. But yeah, product management is you're taking this whole beast of whole bunch of things that have had to come together in the right timing, the right considerations the problems that you've just accepted are going to ship because that's going to happen. What are we doing next and getting it out the door and sort of agreeing to like, this is the thing that we have agreed to for now. And we can figure out later what we want it to be next. (laughs) That's actually really useful. Thank you. It sounds like these people, whoever they are, wherever they are in the world, you could be one listener, are really good at EQ, really good at executive functioning, and also really good at maybe accepting that if we look at the code as code, it's only half the picture. Every time that code runs on a machine, it's going to be because of decisions that were made that were about the wetware of the project. It's going to be about how things went on in the background, how non-co-contributors managed the project and figured it out. Not just people who were like, you know, submit it to the docs. That's not the only type of non-code contribution. Thinking about like, the big scale is a super important part. So I'm just really grateful for that perspective, Tracy. And it's really yeah. refreshing to hear and have We dive into questions like this a lot on some of the other podcasts. We have a Let's Talk Docs podcast here at Sustain, which is just focused on documentation. We have another one called Sustain Open Source Design as a podcast where we talk about what design is. And in each of the episodes with the people on those podcasts, it's very clear that, oh, design is not one role. It's 10,000 roles, you know? And so it's the same with this. And I feel like this could be a whole subject in itself. So I'm really glad you came on to share just this time with us on it. We are running up on time, however, and so I want to make sure that we're able to wrap up. Tracy, for people who are interested in learning more about your thoughts on open source, if you still have those on the internet and it's cool to focus on Crow and Pitcher instead of the chaos that is Node ComCom and conflict resolution and all those things, where can they find you online and follow up? Oh, gosh. I mean, my thoughts on open source are probably mostly reflected at this point still on the Twitter I'm not blogging about it as much these days, but I would love to talk about it online. And Twitter is probably the easiest way to get my ear. You could find Tracy. Yes. Hacky go lucky. (laughs) Thank you so much. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much. This was really cool, but we're not done yet. Now we have the other part of the show. This is Spotlight, the time where we just take it a bit and go somewhere else. So people, projects, dependencies, things that helped you out in your career, or you just think need a little bit of light shed on them. Ben, what's your spotlight? (laughs) So in keeping with the theme, which is my office is currently 33 degrees, 
Actually, I'm just sharing the open source designs for what I was taught by a Texan yesterday is known as a swamp cooler, which is basically a hollowed out bin with some ice and some sponges in it and a small fan in the top to cool down the room, which I am going to be making right after this call. Excellent. Thank you very much. My spotlight today is Brian Hughes. N-E-B-R-I-U-S on Twitter. Brian and I were both members of ComCom and we had a disagreement and I left. And over the years I've learned it's because I was immature and that's okay. That's something to know about myself. But without Brian pointing that out to me, I don't think I would be where I'm at today. So I'm actually really grateful for Brian's involvement in Node and for ComCom in general and just being there. But it's always interesting to me to think, to recast people for whom you felt hurt and say, actually, all the hurt was on my end and there was really no issue with that conflict. And that was just something where I had to learn a bit more and now I have done so. So thank you, Nebrius, for being who you are and keep it up. Tracy, who is your spotlight today? Yeah, so I had to think so much about this, but I think a lot of my journey and where I'm at today can, in one way or another, from my exposure to JSConf in general, the entity JSConf. So I didn't realize this until very recently that outside of the JavaScript world, people didn't have like this general like, hey, you can start a conference. We know a bunch of people we can introduce you to and how to run it and all of the pros and cons of whether you should try. And we love your energy and you want a community build. Let's introduce you to a whole group of people who have also been there, done that, and would love to help. And I think what I loved about it also is we had a ton of open source stuff. So it was, how do you run a business? Because it is ultimately a business. You're not trying to run a business. You're trying to form a community that you, unfortunately, also have to have a business around. And it was, oh, well, let's just do a bunch of open source tooling and see how far this gets us. And that's where you get to find out what is really helpful in open source when you're running a business and what you just need to pay for sometimes because it's not there yet. So we have a lot of learnings over the years around that. And I've just made so many good friends and moves in my career thanks to that. And I think there are still online communities around it and also online events and also some in person that are happening. I'm not attending them yet, but I love to see the new ones that are coming out. And I love to think about the old friends that I have because of them. And it's open source it's community. And it just, it warms my heart when I think about it. So you should check them out. Plus 9,001 to that one. Totally agree with you. Chase Comp is the best. All right, Tracy, it was great having you on. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to say so, you can always rate us on Apple or Spotify or wherever podcasts are made, stored, and delivered. So please go ahead and do so. If you have thoughts, you can always jump on the Sustained Discourse at discourse.sustainoss.org or you can ping us on Twitter at SustainOSS. If you also just want to email and say, I really hated this episode and you're an awful person, feel free to do so at podcast at sustainoss.org or send nice thoughts there as well. That goes to all the hosts as well. So thank you very much for that. If you have ideas for guests or topics that you want to have covered, also feel free to do that. Yes, this is the long text at the very end. So I'm just going to roll it up now and say thank you very much, Tracy. That was excellent. And best of luck with Crow and Pitcher and everything else. Yeah, thank you.